makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power, power. Greetings and good day and welcome. I shake your hand with good feelings in my heart and the other one too. I shake that same other hand with good feelings in, in my heart and it's good for all of us to be here. This is First Voices Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. I'm Teokas and Ghost Horse and you are listening to an all-native hosted, all-native produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for current archives. And today I'm talking with Dylan Shields about his experience on a recent Whitestone Hill Memorial horseback ride out in North Dakota and South Dakota with a group from a number of people of the Dakota and Lakota nations. And Dylan, who is a filmmaker, grew up on a Duck Valley reservation in Nevada, among the Paiute and Shoshone people. And they rode across the northern plains from Crow Creek, South Dakota, to Whitestone Hills State Historic Site, 23 miles east of Cum, Dickey County, North Dakota. And they arrived on September 3rd. This is the second of four planned rides held in remembrance of ancestors who were at Whitestone on September 3rd through the 5th in 1863 when white soldiers led by General Alfred Sully, attacked a teepee camp of Yangtonai, Dakota, Hunkpapa, Lakota, and Blackfeet, Sihasapa, Lakota, as part of a military mission to punish participants of the Dakota War in 1862. So between 100 and 300 Native men were, and children were massacred or captured. And we as Native people and Lakota people say there were more than 400 
that were massacred at that site. So I'd like to welcome you to First Voices Radio. And this is in part that interview. What we're talking about is, uh, you know, that we have not paid attention enough to what's happening to Native people because of the mainstream short conversations about Native people, how they don't know, why they don't, they don't want to know, because it brings up too many, I would say, too many memories that bother that conscience and also the consciousness of America. Those of you who are brave, who listen to First Voices Radio, have courage. It's, it may not be something that moves you or it's old history, get, get over it. This is now. Well, there's a new thought process happening here, and I think Dylan Shields exemplifies that. And we'll go with Dylan Shields, and he'll be here right now. But thank you for coming on to First Voices Radio. And um, Dylan Shields, can you begin describing your involvement with uh, the elders that you're working with, this mm-hmm. Whitestone Hill Memorial horseback ride? And can you give us a background of that uh, horseback ride of from from Crow Creek to Whitestone Hill. Um, well, you're absolutely right. It is a long journey, um, about 200 miles. And um, everybody who I've told, I work in Los Angeles here, and everybody who I've told about the ride, they just can't believe it. You know, I tell them we go about 30 miles a day, and they're like, "Oh wow, that's really <laughs> that's really a lot." And um, but you know, we uh, we made it all work, and it was an incredible experience. And um, it's an interesting journey that kind of brought me there. Um, I had decided back in 2016 to go to the uh, No Dapple. I wanted to support that because I myself, even though I'm a white person, I grew up on a reservation. Um, My parents moved me to the Duck Valley Reservation when I was seven years old. Um, That's in northern Nevada and southern Idaho. Um, the Western Shoshone, Northern Paiute people, um, their reservation. So I moved there when I was seven years old and my whole childhood was spent there. And, um, and even though I was raised by my white parents and my uh, two brothers and sister, I feel like I was also raised by that community, um, the Shoshone and Paiute people, the, the New Enuma people. Um, and it's a really beautiful reservation right in the um, – Upper Great Basin, also the uh, the Snake River Plains area of southern Idaho. And it, I think a lot about the idea of nature versus nurture. And, I, and even though I'm a white person, I feel like I was nurtured by the Native people of that part of the country. And so I, I've always felt a kinship and a connection. And I didn't know a lot about Native history when I was growing up, even though I was in the community. I mean, I certainly knew of a lot of the heroes, Chief Joseph, and a lot of the the major events, and and most of my teachers were Native growing up. But I didn't really know about the true American history. So when I left the reservation, I started to educate myself and read a lot of books and watch documentaries. And and I began to really understand the the truth. And and I began to feel angry about that. And, And when No Dapple happened in 2016, it was just amazing how the world was watching. You know, it was an event that captured the world's attention in a very short time. Um, and so I think it began in August, August of uh, 2016. And I was currently teaching. I'm a professor at Los Angeles City College, so I couldn't get away. But I really wanted to go there and I wanted to to fight for the cause. I mean, I wanted to be on the front lines. I saw what was happening in the videos that 
everybody was was following on Facebook and things. And so I did go to I did go there, but I had to wait until December when my semester ended. So I went there probably during the coldest time. Uh, I was there, I think, December 19th. And um, I was walking around the camp and I, I ended up having a chance meeting of a guy named Volney Fast Horse. And Volney um, was a very nice gentleman. Um, he took me on a tour through the area. Um, we talked a lot while we were there. I felt like we really kind of came together. And, um, and we kept in touch ever since then um, when I left. And, and when I left um, the camp, the No Dapple camp, I rented a car and I had some extra time. So I wanted to do a road trip. So I drove from Bismarck, I drove east, and then I drove south because I was meeting somebody in Aberdeen. And I saw the Whitestone Hill sign. Um, and I, I remember getting out of my car and I think reading um, about it. And I, and I was really surprised that I hadn't heard of it. And I thought I had known about Native history a fair amount. But I was really kind of angered when I read about what happened there. And when I read about the uh, the atrocity and the, the massacring and the, the burning of the food. And, and when I learned that the soldier's intention was to, to make the native people dependent on, you know, to, to force them onto the reservation essentially. And so I was really, I was, I was really angry about that. And I thought, you know, how many others like that are around the country? How many other, how many other events do we not teach our children about? And so I kept in touch with Volney um, ever since then. And he knew that I was in the film side of things out here in Los Angeles. And we were talk, we talk a lot about film and documentaries and he invited me to the ride. And um, I wanted to try and go last year, but it was the first year of COVID. And uh, it's also sort of the first week of my semester here. So I couldn't make last year, but I, I really tried to make it work this year. And I did a lot of preparation for the trip and, but that's what brought me out there. It was a combination, I think, of my own upbringing on a reservation, going to No Dapple, and also meeting Volney. That's what brought me out for the ride this year. Dylan Shields, I'm thinking that you're accepting your responsibility for the knowledge you do know and enacting that somehow in more or less a medicine or prevention from it happening again. And your position as professor is to bring that quote unquote education to your students. But does it go beyond that where we can actually do something in the American psyche of what happened, what is currently happening to Native people? Because it seems from my, um, my point of view that we want the culture of the Native people, but we don't want their struggle. You know, absolutely. And that's what I think this trip really helped me figure out was how how can we come out of this with a purpose, you know, and I feel like this trip really solidified my purpose. I think I have a very diverse student body here at Los Angeles City College. We have uh, we're the largest film school in the largest district in the in the state of California in terms of community colleges. And I believe it's the largest educational institution in the country The the Los Angeles Community College District. So we have a lot of students from all over the world. And whenever I get an opportunity, I ask them about Native history. And I, when I teach a documentary class, I show them a lot of Native content. And I always like to ask them, what do you know about Native people, about Native history? And really, they don't know a lot. They really almost know nothing at all. And uh, maybe there's a couple students in the class that know about Little Bighorn or Wounded Knee, 
Um, but for the most part, they don't know anything. And I can definitely say that they want to know there's an interest. They know it's important. And there was one class where I think I said, why don't you guys know anything about Native history? And, and there was one white student who said, because we don't want to know. And that really stuck with me. And, and you know, the, um, the contemporary struggles that Native people go through, I, I understand that Native people can feel invisible in our society. Um, and I think it has to go back to the beginnings of, uh, of the history and the founding of the history, the, the policies, these genocidal policies and, and the treaties, which were all broken. I think 501 treaties, which were all broken. And even in our own constitution, it says that treaties are the supreme law of the land. And so I feel like America could be what it wants to be, but there's no way we can ever get there without facing this truth and, and acknowledging those agreements. And, and I think Whitestone is just one example where we need to face the truth of what happened. And I think Native people disproportionately feel the burden of that trauma, um, you know, historic trauma that is manifested today in other problems, you know, um, alcoholism, substance abuse, murdered and missing indigenous women, um, suicide rates. There are so many, so many um, ills in society that are disproportionately affected on, on native people and their reservations. And I think that it's time, it's way past time that we non-native people, we, we try and lift that burden. I think we need to start feeling the trauma. I think we need to acknowledge what we did and, and even though, you know, a lot of non-Native people, they say, I'm not responsible for that. I didn't do that. And that's true, but we inherited it and, and we have to make it right, I think. I think we, it's up to us because who else is going to? And so I think if I can help sort of bridge that gap between the Native people and the non-Native people, you know, I think that's what I'm, what I would like to do because I, I'm also very alarmed at climate change and um, and the reports that have come out that give these forecasts and uh, the IPCC report came out and they give various prognostications on what could happen if we don't do anything or depending on what we do. And one of the outcomes is human extinction by the year 2100. And so I think this is full alarm bells. It's we need drastic change. And, um, and I think one of the things that we could do is look at our relations with native people and make it right do what we can to make it right and lift up the communities and um because i learned about a way of life on this ride i think and i learned about values that could i think could save mother earth i think it's a different way to look at mother earth the land um i think it's very possible and if there's a way that we can help the earth help native people I think at least we're doing something about uh, the situation that we're in. Dylan Shields, you know, you're saying a lot and a lot of people will be, are listening to this and hearing what you're really. But there seems to be a system in the way, say, the intentional education, uh, quote unquote, cancel culture, critical race theory. Um, no one wants to talk about that, but it's always about the American way will prevail. And yet the American way is actually, I would say, at, at the, the destruction, I think, the mentality yeah. of, of the earth and the extraction corporation, yeah. I call it, 
Um, but also your students said something. What is keeping Americans from learning that history that they don't want to know? Okay, that's yeah. one question. That's one question. It seems like you've you've gone past, we could say, the poverty porn, uh, the tragedy porn. But when it comes to it, the, the Native people have been grieving all along because these are symptoms of not being able to grieve. Now we're, we're coming up with a consciousness of the earth, such as Standing Rock. And when I was a child, it was Wounded Knee and all of these things that were going on now that we had to deal with. And now part of that uh, revealing consciousness or the apocalypse of exposing the truth is the, the, the you say, murder missing Indigenous women. But let's go even further to the boarding school, residential schools, that what's happening and the undiscovered tragedy of Native people. But yet, what have the Native people been going through as far as you can see without um, as as you refer to yourself as a white person, but it's really a mentality. What keeps you, what keeps the people from understanding what grieving is all about? Because I can see information is out there, but the grieving process seems to be uh, a foreign thought process that we're only going to look at the good side of America, so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bypass which you're, you're describing very well, and I thank you for that. Yeah, well, I think people today, um, Americans, especially young Americans, we haven't been taught the truth. We haven't been told the truth about history. And I think you could go as far back as, um, you know, Little Bighorn and, and Custer and what happened to Custer. And, and I think his wife had a long campaign to kind of tell his story for decades after he was killed there. And the myth of, of Custer's last stand, and it was a glorious battle and, you know, um, manifest destiny and the, the doctrine of discovery, you know, it, it goes so far back to the very foundation of our country. And I think, and it was so ironic that at the Whitestone Hill um, site, there's only really one monument there, one memorial, and these, these statues of the soldiers um, on top of the hill and the soldiers um, mostly killed each other through friendly fire. Um, and it was, there's no way to, to not describe it as a, as a massacre and a slaughter. And the monument is to them. And so that really says this, this idea of the American myth. America is so great. Um, Americans exceptional. And, and you could go back to the history of native people in film and television and, uh, and, you know, revisionist, revisionist history, you know, the early Westerns was always native people were the bad guys. And and there was never an attempt to look at it from their point of view until we start getting to the sixties. And you mentioned the aim movement and things like that. So we've had lots, we've had lots of shifting in points of view. And I think especially young people today are really interested. And I think they want to be told the truth. I think they deserve to be told the truth and you may have mentioned that I think South Dakota wants to take native history out of curriculum for schools. So they just want to completely ignore it. And I think it's, I think it's basic psychology where we have to know our past. We have to understand our past. And so I think that's been a big hurdle is that it's been a systematic uh, movement to not tell the truth over these, these terrible things that happened on our very own ground in this country. And, and we can do a lot about that, especially today with, with social media and, and 
can use it to raise awareness. And then all of a sudden people are asking questions and they're doing their own research and that can only be good. Um, but what was your second question? I wanted to. Where do we go once we get past the, the poverty porn and the tragedy porn to where we arrive yeah. at what's left, but the grieving do Americans actually really know how to grieve what's not yeah. just happened to themselves and at the, the pilgrim story and I mean, ousted from Europe or wherever, but mm-hmm. to land in a country that seemed to be free, but yet in the taking of the land, we're getting rid of the very source of the people who took care of the land. You see why the intentional education of not knowing as in South Dakota, but yeah. the revealing of what's left, but to learn how to grieve as you yeah. were with some elders, you said of only fast horse. And uh-huh. yeah, in that sense. Yeah. 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 And, and Claude Two elk who introduced me to you, um, I learned so much from those, uh, the elders, the organizers, and the people that were on the ride. And um, I often think of something I heard John Trudell say. Um, John Trudell said that white people, he said that the same thing that happened to natives here happened to white people in Europe 800 years earlier. Um, white people lost their connections to their original tribes in Europe. And we came here as oppressors. Uh, we came here to escape oppression only to become oppressors. And we brought sickness, we brought greed. And, you know, Native people, it was it was genocidal policies, but Native people survived through it all. And so I think a good it's a good question, where do we go from here? I think we need to look back and learn the history and learn the truth of what happened. And I've found too, I often equate it, uh, let's say a white person has never heard anything about uh, Native people, and they learn about these these uh, massacres and the terrible policies. Uh, they go through the stages of grief, where in the beginning, it's there's some denial, because um, they haven't been taught, and they're like, this can't be true. No, I don't think so. And then there's bargaining. And, and, then, and then finally, at the end of those five or seven stages of grief, there's acceptance. And so what can we do at that point? Well, I think we have to we really need all hands on deck for mother earth because it's, it's, uh, it's beyond an emergency. And even in that IPCC report, I believe that if we did everything right, right now, that wouldn't necessarily make it get cooler. You know, it's hot across the country. Um, and even if we do everything right, that's not exactly going to fix everything. So we need to do everything we can to stop damaging the earth. And of course, native people thrived on this continent for for thousands of years before the white people came. And what I learned on this ride was really, I think, a way of life. And I think it's a way of life where everybody is taken care of. Um, you know, the, the profit-driven uh, capitalist machine that is there and, and, and unceasing. And when I was on the ride, that was a constant because we were in uh, the Northern Great Plains, a lot of farmland and a lot of a lot of big agriculture infrastructure and the sound of these big rigs just zooming down the highway with these gigantic petroleum tankers and trucks full of stuff. And it made me almost think that that's Sully, you know, the general at Whitestone, that's Sully and Sibley and Custer and Shivington and Sheridan and just go down the list and they're all still out there because that's what's really destroying the earth, the, the carbon emissions. And I think, I think, 
all of that could be good. We could use all of that to feed the world, but we have to do it in a good way. I think it shouldn't be profit-driven. It should be done for uh, taking care of the people. And so, but I do think too that we need to lift the burden of this grief from the Native people. And we non-Native people need to feel it and we need to work through it. And then I think we do need to revisit some of the, the treaties. And I think we need to try and give more land back. I'm a believer in the land back movement. And I almost, I really like that slogan because it's just to the point. <laughs> it just, it just says, give us the land back. And this way of life, which is a regard for life. It's a regard for all living things. Um, and on the ride, we got to experience that way of life where from the time you wake up, it's, it's looking ahead, it's working hard, it's taking care of each other, it's humility, and also the, the ceremonial aspects, the prayer, um, and the humor and the laughter. And, you know, everybody's included. And um, Claude Tuell talks about the, the sacred circle. And I think even social skills, I think just that week of being on the ride, I think if, if people more people could experience that they would, they would see this is a way that could help the whole world. You know, this is a way, these are, these are, uh, these are the values that we need. And I think for non-native people, we need to really live up to what America wants to be. I think um, to what America says it wants to be Um, because as long as native people are suffering, I think we can never get to a better place. Thank you for all your perspective. And what I was noting is that assumed knowledge of Native people, again, is an assumption that so the perspective is is half true. And when we get down to it, Native people, I think we can stay in the blaming of they did it to us, which is half true. But what we're doing with what happened to us is as the ride is a healing, it's a circumference of healing. And, and that's always understanding the struggle that we're with. I think from the heart of the earth that the Native people are still amongst our own land. But mm-hmm. I think the risk is that we don't know how to take the risk of really changing this so-called democracy into mm-hmm. one where there's earth democracy, that mm-hmm. all species are involved in this and that the other species have taken their responsibility without having to go to a demonstration. They are just living with the earth. And as you quoted John Trudell, having to learn how to live with the earth. It's here now. That's what we have to do. And a society yeah. that does not know how to do it. If you're out of hope, then you have to do something about it. Is that where we're at now? Yeah. Well, you know, um, you made me think almost of this, this sort of divide and conquer strategy, right? And I think that's been there from the beginning with the uh, the United States government and, and the the generals um, divided Native people and did did the best they could to divide Native people. And I think we're still in that world today, right? And I think a lot of people might say, even though, of course, I heavily prefer a Democratic president over Trump and the Republicans, you know, there's still that ruling class, the wealthy people. I mean, I think we're still in that divide and conquer where it's left versus right. Um, but really, it's what are the, uh, I by the way, with this IPCC report, I think they can pinpoint it to like 20-something companies, 20-something corporations around the world are responsible for the majority of this destruction that we've been seeing. And so the rest of us are, are 
just here. I mean, what what can the rest of us do? And so I think the divide and conquer is still very much there. Um, and yeah, you mentioned what to do with 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 hope and stuff. And it took me a while. I mean, I'm I'm going to be turning 48 this year, and I I don't feel like I I felt like this ride came along at the perfect time for me in my life. I felt I I not only needed it and I was ready for it, but I felt like I'm in a position where I can really contribute and try and um, support the ride and also you know, take along some cameras. And I've been, I worked with Volney Fast Horse with getting footage and we're going to probably try to put together a documentary uh, to raise awareness of the ride. But I think other people who might be feeling a sense of no hope, I think, um, I think if, if you can just survive, get through it, I think change is constant. There's going to be some difficult days and you just have to get through those difficult days and think about those things that are within your control, you know, because it is very easy to get overwhelmed by the loss, right? And you mentioned, I think Native people feel a great sense of loss over over who's been lost and over who's even the young future generations and what they're going to have to go through if we don't do anything to help the, you know, Mother Earth. And I think more people need to feel that. I think it's important to feel that, but it's also important to be able to not let things that you can't control really bring you down. If you, and there was a, I don't know if you saw the documentary on Michael Jordan recently. Did you see that? It was called the last dance. Um, one of the things that stood out about him, they, they mentioned that he had the ability to block everything out of his mind. Uh, he, he kept his focus on just winning, just getting that next shot, just, you know, um, winning that game, winning that championship. And I always get got inspiration for that because, you know, it, it's difficult to block everything out. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed with sadness and grief at the loss that we've seen and the loss that that is to come. You know, with um, that report also said that out 70 percent of the coral around the earth is threatened. And I think 20 to 30 percent of all the world's coral reefs are already gone. And that's not just coral reefs. That's the whole ecosystem. And so it's very easy to just get overwhelmed with that sadness. And, but, you know, there's good days, there's bad days. I think for that loss of hope, those moments, just get through it um, and reach out and, and call someone and, and try to do what you, what you have in, in your control. But I think we, we need more people to just be aware of this. We need more, especially non-natives to, to feel this sense of urgency um, and Native people have always been on the front lines from the very beginning. Um, and I, I listened to this, the Red Nation podcast by uh, Nick Estes, Melanie Yazzie. And they they say that, yeah, the Red Scare, the original Red Scare, uh, which we today think of communism, um, was Native people. And Native people have always been on the front lines of struggle. And and we have to have that radical optimist opta optimism, radical optimism we have, because it is uh, daunting what lies ahead. But if we don't do anything about it, nothing's going to happen. And we have to really fight for for Mother Earth and for, you know, all people. And that's what I learned on the ride, that everybody's important. I want to thank you for your time you were able to give to First Voices Radio. In the slow aftermath of change and post-colonialism, post-whatever, is that we arrive at a point where we realize, and I've thought this through many, many, and this think tank um, on First Voices, is that 
we really can't save the earth, but that that's what the earth has been doing all along. And if we just let her do what she needs to do and we pay attention to her and, and learn how she listens to us, she meets our every need. So, you know, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing instead of planning earth, planning to be saviors is yeah. that we don't have that power, but a Western way would say, well, we have the power to change the earth. So can't we change it back to, but not with the same thought processes. And this is yeah. my thoughts. So I want to thank you for your time here. And, but also your thoughts on what I just said, because they may differ, um, but it's just an honor to have you here. And yeah. thanks for speaking about, um, you know, the, the Volney fast horse and um, Claude two elk, because I think, you know, their voices are behind what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. And and I think it's a in, in the Bible, you know, I think it, there's a phrase in the Bible that says, have dominion over all living things. And I think that alone has caused so much destruction around the world. The idea of this Western way of thinking that everything is ours for the taking. And let's cut down as many trees as we need. Let's pull all of the resources out of the ground. And, you know, I think I think the, the church and religion has really, you know, those those religions have really done so much damage and i think you're right that we can't um you know we can't fix it in a western way i don't think it it can be fixed that way i think it's it's we have to listen you know um listen to mother earth and and as i was writing and and i did a lot of looking into the horse culture aspect of lakota and dakota life and i think just riding a horse and being one with the horse was was almost what you just described where you're sort of listening to another being, another living thing, and you're trying to sort of find that rhythm and that synergy. I think if we can do that with the earth, we can save the earth. But I agree, it's not going to come through our our typical Western ways. I mean, we took that Missouri River and dammed and put five dams down that Missouri River, and that's pretty arrogant, you know, to think that we can do that. And I think it's going to, there, there is a different way. I think it's very possible for non-Native people to change their worldview. Um, and I did hear a great uh, phrase on a podcast recently where somebody was learning Cherokee and they said they were learning words and, and how to speak Cherokee. And they realized in order to really get it, you have to change your whole worldview. And I think, wouldn't that be great if we could have a shift in worldview? Um, because I, I think it's very possible we can, we can fix things, but we need more people to to jump on and see that the you know there's a there's a better way. Wow! Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I think we have time for one more thought process. Here is um, you cannot speak Lakota without intuition, but when I speak English, I have to leave intuition behind, mm-hmm. and so that's the most sacred gift that we have as Indigenous peoples. And we talked about the young lady learning Cherokee. I think that's what she means to put the intuition, not the magic or the miracle, but intuition, a reality of that's what the earth and animals and other species non-anthropocentrically can do. They work through and with intuition, whereas humans in this present state of domination, which most native languages do not have a concept or a word for domination, that Mm -hmm. we have lost a relational values of language to understand Mm -hmm. what intuition is about. Do you see where I'm going with that? I sure do. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely true. 
And I think being on the ride, it was those ceremonies and the prayers each morning, each evening, um, as the horses set off. And we carried two staffs, two sacred staffs, uh, made the whole journey 200 miles. And one of the staffs was for the boarding school children. Um, and there were prayers on the staff. And, and the other staff was made by incarcerated Native people in, I think, Sioux City. And, and they and uh, one of the rides organizers, Jimmy Hallam, called them the aftermath of Whitestone, um, you know, the uh, the incarceration rates. And so that that staff was made by uh, those people. And we carried those staffs and there was prayers with the staffs. And I think the sacred circle and the, the, the singing and the, and that ceremonial aspect really helped, I think, to bring that intuition that you speak of. And I think, um, and I learned also to be ready for anything, any given day, you know, um, that, that was because there were certainly unpredictable things. I mean, there were lots of little challenges that came up, little challenges and big challenges. And I think if you're in touch with your intuition, I think you're, you're better armed to deal with any challenge that might come your way. So absolutely. I, I think it's all really great stuff. And yeah. it's, it's certainly been a, a huge honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you for bringing that energy of that ride. And I'll describe that history to folks in, you know, the IPCC and their findings and, um, Indigenous Peoples on Climate Change, I think that stands for the acronym. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, just just being you, you know, that we're not here to blame anybody. We're not hating anybody. But there's a realization that this is where we have arrived at as a too much in love with our species, species, <laughs> right? Yeah. And yep. look, what, look what our love for what our in self has made us into this narcissistic um, yeah. perspective. So, mm-hmm. um, so yes, thank you for being here an honor. And again, Dylan Shields, who was on the ride and a professor at the Los Angeles community college district. And it's been an honor also, and keep in touch if there's any, ever anything I can do, um, reach out. And I'm, I'm very much in touch with all of the rides organizers and I'm hope I'm glad that it's going to continue. You mentioned it's a four-year commitment so we have two more rides, 2022 and then 2023 will be the um, the big, I think, 160-year anniversary ride. So these can be so good. And I have a lot of ideas even for the, the future uh, rides to even make them more uh, in raising awareness and of this, what happened there. And I think if we can spread the word, more people will come along. And that was Dylan... Shields about his experience on a recent Whitestone Hill Memorial horseback ride with a group from a number of Dakota and Lakota nations who is a filmmaker grew up on the Duck Valley Reservation in Nevada among the Paiute and Shoshone people. He was a warrior in every way and he was always listening a dedication to people's displaced And he was always listening If a little birdie flew into his space He was always listening And with the spirit of the ancient ways He was always receiving He said, come with me people, stand up 
up with me people As one and as equals Let's honor all people Come with me people Stand up with me people As one and as equals Let's honor all people All people Honor all people Honor all people in every way and she was always listening dedication to people's displaced and she was always listening and if a lion moved through her space she was always listening and with the spirit of the ancient ways she was always receiving Come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals. Let's honor our people, our people. Xavier Rudd and the United Nations off the album Nana, N-A-N-N-A. It's reggae from 2015 here on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. Well, the next person you will hear for the remainder of the show here on this uh, mountain top radio program, uh, First Voices Radio, again, is uh, bringing you voices of the earth and this, you will be listening to a 91, 90 years old, 91 years old, excuse me, Oren Lyons, who is a member of the Onondaga and Seneca Nations of the Iroquois Confederacy as an activist for indigenous and environmental justice. Lyons works with communities across the globe, and as a faith keeper, he upholds the history and traditions of the Turtle Clan of the Onondaga and Seneca. He often addresses modern-day conflicts by sharing traditional views on the laws of nature. And on this audio, he talks about the prophecies of Native people coming true now. The older you get, the more you realize how little you know and how much more there is to know. We're not doing very well 
that we seem to be moving farther and farther away from what would be good for our grandchildren and their children. The earth can deteriorate and ultimately lose its life-giving forces and it can uh, change and become barren or it can change and become snow. It has its own direction, it has its own will and ability. And we're part of that. And so right now I see two big areas of concern. Some time back when Einstein was asked a question about what is the most powerful law of the universe, he said it was the law of compound. And I pondered that, you know, and I said, compound, what does that actually mean? And I really thought about it and have been thinking about it. And uh, I come to the conclusion that it's kind of like an explosion in reverse. It starts slow and ends fast. So compound, or in two that I see, and one is compound of the ice melting, and the other is a compound of human population. Both are moving and accelerating. Both are under their own direction. It doesn't seem like there's a control factor here for either one. Certainly the ice melt is something beyond our control at the moment because what it takes, it takes the instruction of the peacemaker to be of one mind. The power of the good mind can change anything. So we have to somehow get to that point of unity of thought and direction and effort. And if we can do that, we certainly can mitigate what's going on now. I think we have to adjust and we have to get a message to the people and they have to understand the seriousness of this situation right now. Lester Brown, who's you know, recognized as one of the great scientists of the world concerning environment and interests, said that in 1950, there was 2.5 billion people in the world. 2000, there were 6 billion. So in that short time, we almost doubled, tripled the population of the world. That's not sustainable. That is not sustainable. You can't do that. But we are. And that's a reality. Who knows that? Who thinks about that? I heard Ted Turner say that one time. He says, well, in my lifetime, I've seen this population double. And you think about that. You know, it took four million years to get to that point. It takes something like 50 years to do it twice. No, that don't work. And so that's what we're facing in the world today. We have China, who has one billion people, more, 1.3, I think, maybe probably more by this time. India, which has one billion people, just the two of them are one-third of the population of the world. Indian nations have what they call prophecies, but also the Bible has prophecies. And people have had prophecies all the time, seems to be part of human nature. They're not so much prophecies as they are instructions of conduct. And the prophecies being that this will happen if you don't do this, or this will happen if you drop this. So it always leaves the option to the present. It always leaves the option to the current generation. And I think that that's the importance of these prophecies. The earmarks are here of what's happening. You can look about and see the change in temperatures. Everybody's kind of basking in the warm winters and they don't say so, but they like it. But the lack of snow on the ground is bad for the earth. That's water, earth is water. When the earth doesn't have a blanket of snow, 
then it can melt slowly into the earth and rejuvenate the water. Then you're going to have a dry season. And then the influx of winds, high winds, we see that. That was told to us. We were told two things they said that will tell you what the condition of the earth will be when the earth is deteriorating. One will be the acceleration of the winds, and the other will be how people treat their children. And we see, you know, it's a comment on both the natural world and a comment on human population. How people are treating the children today are very bad. And the winds we've seen, and they're coming, and they're coming stronger. They're going to come more and more. And we're told that the only way to do that is to be respectful in your conduct. There's a lot of indicators of what's going on today. Mother Earth has laws and rules, and one of them is balance. She will keep the balance, regardless. People have taken religion and, and confused it with their own ideas of power and authority. From what I know, and I don't know a lot, I think old age gives you one perspective, that human nature and human beings have a very consistent way of doing things. That's learning the hard way. We just love to learn the hard way. And it seems like every generation has that, even though the instructions are clear. In these times, we don't have a lot of time. I think time is an element here. Maya said to us that um, there's going to be a period of enlightenment. Enlightenment is when you suddenly perceive something. You understand it and it's clear. Well, that's where we are. We're right there. So the period of enlightenment and the ability for us to deal with it is going to reflect on, I think, the teaching of the peacemaker again. And he said that when you sit and you counsel for the welfare of the people, think not of yourself, nor of your family, or even your generation. Make your decisions on behalf of the seventh generation coming, so they may enjoy what you have today. So it's an instruction of responsibility. It was a very visionary instruction. It was a long-term instruction. If you take care of the future, you'll be taking care of yourself. You yourself will have peace. Human beings are still a biological experiment. We're here a short time, we haven't been here a long. In the time of the earth, not very long at all. And the earth is not dependent on us, we're dependent on it. By whatever means, the earth goes nowhere. And in time, it will regenerate. And all the lakes will be pristine. The rivers, the waters, the mountains, everything will be green again. It'll be peaceful. There may not be people, but the earth will regenerate. And you know why? Because the earth has all the time in the world, and we don't. The best teachers that we had, and we learned from all the time, was nature and the animals. They taught us a lot. If it wasn't for the bear, we wouldn't know how to survive. We have to have a better understanding of who we are. And if you don't learn, you're just going to suffer the consequence. There is hope, always hope. And the hope is in the conduct of the people. But the actions and time are forcing issues now. And I hope that this will help and help them understand that it's really almost not a question of who's right and who's wrong. It's a question of what do we do now? And that was 91-year-old Chief Orrin Lyons, faith keeper of the Wolf Clan Onondaga Nation. Chief Lyons speaks about the warnings and 
how we are living in the times of this 200-year-old prophecy. And this was recorded in 2007. It was just posted a few months ago. And it is about his last warning. Therefore, it's entitled, My Last Warning. And you heard it on First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. Thank you for joining us. Doksha ake wachinktelo. He was a warrior in every way And he was always listening A dedication to people's displaced And he was always listening If a little birdie flew into his space, he was always listening. And with the spirit of the ancient ways, he was always receiving. He said, come with me people, stand up with me people, as one and as equals, let's honor all people. Come with me people, stand up with me people As one and as equals, let's honor all people, all people Honor all people Honor all people Honor all people She was a goddess in every way And she was always listening always listening and if a lion moved through her space she was always listening and with the spirit of the ancient ways she was always receiving she said come with me people stand up with me people as one and as equals let's honor all people Come with me people, stand up with me people As one and as equals, let's honor all people Come with me people, stand up with me people As one and as equals, let's honor all people Come with me people, stand up with me people As one and as equals, let's honor all people Girl 